Good morning, church family. Thank you for braving the weather to be here this morning. It's a nasty day, but it's a joy to be here with you. And thank you, Brother Mike, for the invitation. I want to ask you to take your Bible this morning and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I want to preach a sermon this morning called White Fields and Working Hands. White Fields and Working Hands. This is a sermon about the great task of the church and how you and I can possess the greatest joy imaginable. Now, there's a few times in my life where God has filled me with an incredible amount of joy. One of those times was in 2006 when, as a 12-year-old boy, I called on Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior on a Sunday night service when my dad was preaching about sin. Another time that God filled me with joy I think my mic is cutting out a little bit. There you go. In 2016, when I was standing in a chapel with my fiance, and we looked at one another, and we said, I do. And uh, God has blessed us with uh, six amazing, wonderful years of marriage, and one that was, okay. God filled me with joy in 2020, in a year that seemed like it was impossible to find joy, when God blessed us with the birth of our first son named Hunt. Um, he's a three-year-old now. Uh, in the morning, uh, in this morning on the way to church, I reached back and to wipe his nose because he had just had snot coming down on his nose. And uh, then he proceeded to have a total toddler meltdown because I want my boogers back. <laughs> so that's what toddler life is like right now. But God filled me with joy when he was born. God filled me with joy a couple of weeks ago when we welcomed our first daughter into the world. I wanna tell you about another joy that you and I can have this morning. And I think that it's a joy that many of us are just missing out on. And that is the absolute joy of being used by God and living life on mission for him each and every day. There is a joy in serving God with your life, your business, your family. And we are, when we are intentional in living life on mission for him, God continually fills us with that joy. When I look around our culture today, there's a couple of things that I see. The first thing is that there is just a vast lostness all around us. Uh, I use that word lost the same way that Jesus used that word lost when he explained that someone is spiritually lost with the example of a wayward son or a lost sheep or a lost coin in Luke 16. The Bible talks about this spiritual lostness and I think that we see it all around us. The culture around us loves to use many different types of separations. And we see all these different tribes and camps around us. You're either conservative or you're liberal, or you're Democrat or Republican, you're black or white, or you're woke, non-woke, or any of those number of separations. But we know that spiritually and truthfully speaking, there is only one separation that exists between all humanity. And that is those who are spiritually lost and those who are spiritually found. It's those who are dead in their sins and those who are alive together with Christ. The way that the Bible explains that separation is that there are those who are an enemy of God and those who are friends with God and those who have not. 
All these images the Bible uses to speak of this vast and great lostness around us. Our society is becoming more and more antagonistic toward the gospel and people are searching for hope in many of the wrong places. In many areas, there's been some kind of reverse evangelism. So instead of the church evangelizing the culture, the culture has evangelized the church. All the while, more lostness is growing and people are dying, never having accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I think that if we were to use the words of Jesus, he would say that the harvest is plentiful. But I think there's a second thing that we see in our world today, and that is that the laborers are so few. And when I say the word laborers, I'm talking about Christians who have chosen to follow Jesus Christ who are living life on mission each day for the glory of God. When Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, he said it right before he sent 70 people into all the towns and villages to go and declare that the kingdom of God was at hand. There's a real lostness and a real salvation that can only come through Jesus, but unless the church rises up and does what the church has been called to do, the harvest will wither away and it will be too late. So not only is there a lostness in our culture, but there is a laziness among the church, almost a spiritual lethargy or a sleepiness that has sunken in. And I think that we see it everywhere. We especially even see it here in our rural South culture, in the Bible Belt of North Florida, where many people might identify as a Christian, but in conversation with them, we find out that very few have had their lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in order for us to understand what the harvest is all about, we look to the teachings of Christ and the message I wanna preach today speaks directly to what the harvest is all about. So look with me in your Bible in John chapter four and I'll begin reading in verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Father in heaven, I wanna come to you right now and ask that you would teach us through your Holy Spirit today. Lord, that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful truth in this text and that we would walk away and apply these things. Lord, you have said that Blessed are those who hear these words of mine and does them. So I pray, Lord, that we leave today with a greater understanding of this harvest that we've entered into and that we would do our part to be on mission for you each day. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I grew up in Sycamore, Georgia. And when you grow up in a small town in South Georgia called Sycamore, the most important thing to know is that eventually at some point in your life, you're gonna be working in watermelon fields and cantaloupe fields. They start you off very early in life. I was about 10 years old when me and my brother, he was six years older than me, we started working for um, a guy in our church who had, had some cantaloupe fields. 
and we wanted to save up money to buy new video games for our PlayStation 1. I think they have five now, but on our PlayStation 1. So me and my brother would go out and we would work in these cantaloupe fields. And the way the cantaloupe field works is you've got a bed uh, trailer and a pickup truck, and it's just going slowly down the aisles, and you have a people who are in a line next to that trailer, next to that truck, and as you're going through in your designated couple of aisles, every time you see, see a, a ripe cantaloupe, you bend down and you pick it up, and you toss it to the person next to you. Now, the, the goal in working in a cantaloupe field is to be the person on the end, because you only have to work Um, but if you're in the middle, you also have to worry about catching whatever's coming at you. And so the, the goal in working in a cantaloupe field is, is to be the person on the end or in the bed of a truck. But the goal in any kind of agricultural setting is, is all about the harvest. I remember one time I, I skipped over a few cantaloupes because I was just feeling tired and my, my boss uh, saw me do it. And he said, Duncan, if you're not gonna pick those cantaloupes, you can take it to the house. And later on, he came up to me and he said, Caleb, without, without the harvest, without the cantaloupes, there's no pay, there's no reward. And that's always just stuck out to me in my mind. And the harvest that Jesus is talking about in this text is not a harvest of cantaloupes or a harvest of anything physical. The harvest that Jesus is talking about is a harvest of souls. That is those who he will be gathered into the kingdom of God. That's what that term is referring to. And so in the text that we're looking at this morning, the word harvest that Jesus used is the gathering of people into the kingdom of God by the gospel proclamation of the church. And in this story, we learn that Jesus is offering an invitation to his disciples to join him on his mission. What was his mission? Luke 19, 10. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus has come to do. And because of God's providence and his word this morning, I believe that Jesus wants to teach us the same lesson about what the harvest is all about. So let's understand the context. Why would Jesus say these words to the disciples about sowing and reaping and the harvest? Well, in John chapter four, when this story picks up, we learn that Jesus had to go to Samaria. And the reason he had to go to Samaria is because he had a divine appointment with a woman at the well. At this uh, time of the day, the Bible says, was at the sixth hour, and Jesus comes to this well. The Jews started off their hours at uh, 6 a.m. was their first hour, so this woman was there about 12 noon in the middle of the day. Now, typically, if you were gonna draw water a well, you would either go early in the morning or you would go late in the evening. But in this story, we learn that the woman is there in the middle of the day. And we have to beg the question of why she's there in the middle of the day it's probably because she was avoiding some people. She didn't wanna be seen by the neighboring culture around her. She didn't wanna be seen by her community. And what we uncover why is because in the conversation that this woman at the well has with Jesus, we learn that this woman has been married five times and the man that she's currently living with is not her husband. You can only imagine the type of things that her community was saying about her. You can imagine the, the names that they were calling her. And the Pharisees would have called her unclean. And the townspeople would have kept their distance from her. But she's exactly the kind of person that Jesus came to save. And so Jesus meets her at the well in the middle of the day and begins an amazing conversation with her about a water, a type of water that she can drink, which she'll never grow thirsty again. 
The type of water that Jesus is talking about is eternal life that can only be found in him. And there's this amazing conversation that ensues and it basically ends in verse 25 with the woman saying, I know that the Messiah is coming and when he comes, he'll reveal to us all things. And in verse 26, Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. At that moment, the woman at the well dropped her water and she realized that she had just had an encounter with Christ the Messiah. And so she goes into the town and she's saying at the top of her lungs, come and see the man who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this be Christ the Messiah? And as she's running into the town declaring, and this is her testimony, the, the Bible says in verse 30 that there were some who were coming out of the town to come and see Jesus. They wanted to come and see whether or not these things were true. So the, the, the townspeople in that town are coming out to see him. And at that moment, the disciples are also walking up. And I believe that there's this, this critical moment where Jesus has just a few moments to teach his disciples a lesson about sowing and reaping and the harvest before Jesus is then bombarded with many people that have come from the town. I think this is a holy moment, a critical moment in the life of Jesus where his ministry had now become public. For the first time, he had revealed himself as the Messiah to a Samaritan woman. And Jesus, in just a few moments, wants to teach his disciples a lesson about the harvest. Well, the main point of this sermon and the text that we're looking at today is that the time to join Christ in his mission is now because people urgently need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason that the harvest is ready is because Jesus has made it ready. And to follow Jesus means to join him on his mission. And Jesus said in John 20, 21, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. Where is he sending us? He's sending us into the harvest. As we uncover this, this word, let's walk through and see what the Bible teaches us this morning about the harvest. I think the first thing that we see about the harvest is that number one, the harvest requires working hands. Look with me in verse 34. Jesus begins teaching his disciples a lesson about obedience. The work of the harvest, it beckons us to live an obedient and holy life to God. You see, before we do the things that God has called us to do, we must first be the people that God has called us to be. So Jesus gives us an example of what this looks like. So the disciples get back from town and they say, Rabbi, you need to eat something in verse 31. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know not of. Now, back in March this year, earlier this year, a few of us went on a mission trip to Liberia, West Africa. There's always a few things that you have to figure out on the practical level before you go on a mission trip, like what's they're going to be like, you know, where am I gonna be sleeping so you know what to pack, you know? And third question that you really need to ask is what are we gonna be eating, right? You have to prepare for that. And so I remember we were getting ready for this, this mission trip and, and uh, I called Shadrach, who is the, the, mission, um, the missionary in Liberia, born and raised in, in Africa. And I called him on the phone and I said, Shadrach, what, what are we gonna be eating on this mission trip? And in a very thick African accent, Shadrach says, well, if you want to eat the goat, we eat the goat. If you want to eat the chicken, we eat the chicken. I knew at that moment I needed to go to Walmart and buy as many Cliff bars and granola bars as I could pack into my carry-on bag. And, 
And so I, I was packing my bag with all this food because I knew that uh, we were gonna be eating the, 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 the best food there uh, in, in, you know, in the American you know, way or whatever. And so I remember we, we flew you know, 28 hours on a plane. We, we slept a few uh, hours in a hotel. And then we got up, drove 15 hours into the jungle of West Africa. And when we got there, they sit down in front of us a, a plate of rice with only God knows what on the top. And I just remember looking at that and I ate as much of it as I could. And Shadrach was, was saying, you know, Caleb, do, do you want some more? And I just looked at him and I said, the words of Jesus, I have food to eat that you know not of. <laughs> so it's in my bag. But the food that, that Jesus is talking about here, it's not physical food. This is a spiritual food. You see, to receive the nourishment that our body needs, we need physical food. But to receive the nourishment that our souls need, we need to live in obedience to God's word. Spiritual nourishment comes when we obey God's word for our lives. To join Jesus on his mission means that we join him in his submission to the Father. One of the aspects that we don't talk about a whole lot in the, the life of Jesus is, his, is a doctrine called his active obedience. Basically, with that doctrine, what that theology says is that one of the chief reasons that Jesus came to the earth was to submit to the Father's plan. And even from the, the moment that Jesus was a young boy in the temple and his parents were looking for him, he said, do you not know that I'd be about my Father's business? In John 6, 38, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was crucified, Jesus said to the Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And we know that it was in the Father's plan for his son to die on a cross. Philippians 2 would tell us that Jesus humbled himself to the point of obedience by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, because of that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. Jesus wanted to obey the Father more than he wanted physical food. And so he told the disciples, I have food to eat that you know not of. And in verse 34, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And one thing we know about Jesus is that he beckons us to hunger with him in an obedient life. He says in Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and they shall be filled. I think the problem with many in the church today is that we have just lost our hunger for God. We've lost our hunger for living our life for his glory. We've grown too satisfied with what the world has to offer. We've grown satisfied with the appetite that we've forgotten that the Bible actually tells us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. How many of you would say in your hearts today, it's my food to do the will of God? Just as Jesus submitted to the Father and obeyed the Father, we also submit to and obey God. And when we do, our soul is nourished like fruit from a vine. This nourishment comes when we are close to Christ. That's why John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So our spiritual health, our vitality comes from a close walk with God. And so if you feel like your bones are wasting away or like your, 
Your strength is just dried up like the heat of summer, like David said in Psalm 32. My question is, are you finding your satisfaction in Christ or in things of this world? Because there's a lot of junk food out there. Too many Cheez-Its and Snickers will ruin your body. <laughs> I don't know if you can think of your favorite snack right now, but it's probably unhealthy, right? If you put one of those Chikataruchi boards in front of me with the cheese and crackers, however you say that word, um, I, I'll tear it up. I don't know how you say that word. It's spelled weird. <laughs> Chicuterie? Okay, I totally messed that up. A balanced spiritual diet consists of the bread of life and fruit from the Spirit's vine and a fountain of living water that never runs dry. And Jesus is calling us to walk with him and to be spiritually nourished by obeying him. You mean to tell me that our obedience to God has a direct connection to our spiritual vitality and health? Jesus said, my food, what's your food? What's your nourishment this morning? The harvest requires obedient life. It requires working hands and we can't join in the work of the harvest if we're not willing to put on our gloves and our boots. I think a second thing that we see about the harvest in this text is that the harvest is urgent. Look at me in verse 35, what Jesus says. He says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. This was a, a phrase, four months comes the harvest. It's a phrase that they were probably used to hearing. And we would probably say the same thing depending on what type of crop that you put in the ground, whether it be peanuts or soybeans or most vegetables. It'd take about four to six months and that harvest is going to be time to start going out and working. And Jesus said, behold, I say to you, he was correcting them. He wanted them to see a deeper spiritual truth behind everything. And so Jesus says, look up, that is open your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And some people ask, why, why does Jesus say the word white? Why is it white for harvest? Well, the reason that he, that he says the word white is because normally whatever you put in the ground, whatever thing you, you crop, you know that it's time for harvest when a, a brighter color starts to emerge from the bud. I think probably the most vivid example we can think of is a cotton field, right? About, about a month ago, you probably drive through and see lots of cotton fields. Just You look out and it's just white. It's ready for harvest. It's ready for picking. But also you think of you know, corn stalks, right? They're a dark green and then a brighter green color starts to emerge from the bud. And so, so when Jesus says the fields are white for harvest, it's just simply a phrase that means now is the time to get out into the field and start picking. Another question is, what does Jesus actually mean when he refers to the harvest? Well, this harvest is referring to people. It's referring to people. In Luke 10 too, he said that the harvest is plentiful. He was referring to people and the laborers are few. There's another place in the Bible where Jesus uses agricultural illustrations to emphasize a those places is in Matthew chapter 13, and Jesus gives the example of the parable of the sower or the parable of the wheat and the tares, and he's using these examples to explain what the kingdom of God is, is like. And so in those texts, the disciples come to ask Jesus a question. Um, Jesus, what do you mean by the parable of the wheat and the tares? And there are some times in the Bible where people ask Jesus what he means by a parable, and Jesus basically says, that's for you to find out because it's about the kingdom of God. 
Um, but in this passage in Matthew 13, the disciples ask him and Jesus says, sure, I'll, I'll tell you what the wheat and the tares is about. He says that the one who sows the seed is the son of man. The field is a world full of people. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. That is those who will respond to the gospel. The tares are the sons of the wicked one. That is those from whom the enemy will rob the gospel. Jesus says the one who sows the tares is the enemy. The point that Jesus is making is this. Don't wait to become more evangelistic at another time in your life. Don't wait to share the gospel with those in your life who you know are lost because the time for harvest is now. The gospel is urgent and Jesus could come back at any time. Will you be found faithful? Will more people be in heaven because of you and your obedience to sharing with others? Who is the last person that you shared the gospel with? Who in heaven will come up to you with a hug around your neck saying thank you for sharing with me? I think the real question that we would need to ask is, do we believe in Jesus? And we'd obviously all say, yes, of course I believe in Jesus. So we would believe in the words that Jesus says. We would say, of course I believe in the words that Jesus says then do you believe that the fields are white for harvest? There are 28,000 people that live in Washington County, 20,000 in Holmes County, 48,000 in Jackson County, and 180,000 in Bay County. That's 276,000 people that live around us that Jesus Christ died on a cross for. I didn't do the math in my head. I had it written down my way. I'm not that good at math. But the point is that the harvest, it's ready, and Jesus has made it ready. It's ready not four months in the future, it's ready now and always. A couple of months ago, Jennifer and I were, were on our way back from vacation. We spent family vacation with my family up in Blue Ridge, uh, Georgia. Uh, we love going up there to the mountains and, and uh, just written a cabin together and enjoying fellowship. And on the way back home, we found a bookstore as we were leaving Blue Ridge. And I've got to, I love bookstores, okay? And so every time I see a bookstore, I've got to, I've got to wander in, right? Because there may be a book on sale, you know, maybe some theology book I don't have, you know? And so I always want to go into the, the closest bookstore I can find. And, and so the way that, that this works, and if you, if you have young children, if you have toddlers or babies, you know how this is. Uh, the way that it works is you park the car and, and one of you gets out and goes in the store to look and make sure that it's worth getting everyone out of the car and going into the store for. And so that's what we did. And we walked into the store and I um, found some books and there was one person in the store other than our family and it was the business owner, the man who owned the store and who was standing at the checkout line. And we began to just carry on a conversation with one another. We were just friendly with one another. And, and our son found this little uh, train area in the back of the store where he could play with trains. And by the way, our three-year-old son never just sits down quietly and plays. And so I know that something was going on here. And so I began to talk with this man at the counter and I found out that um, he was an atheist because I asked him, is there any way I can pray for you before I leave? And the man uh, just simply said, thank you for that kind you know, gesture. That's very nice of you. I'm actually an atheist. And so I, in that moment, knew that it was not us who just kind of randomly wandered in the bookstore. I knew that God wanted us to go in that bookstore. 
And so I began to talk with this man and ask him why he was an atheist or, or how he came to that conclusion. And he said that his whole life, he's had questions that nobody could answer. He's had questions about suffering and about evil. And if God is real, why does he allow these things to happen? And I knew that God was opening up a door for me to share my faith and to share the gospel with him. And I just simply looked at him and said, you know, did you know that God welcomes your questions? You know, there's a story in the Bible about a man named Job who had a lot of questions for God. God, why is there all this suffering that's in my life? And, and God welcomes those questions. In fact, he responded to Job and he said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? God told Job that, that there are some things that you simply do not understand about my plan for this world. And God just allowed me to, to open up and share my faith about times in my life where I've been searching for God and looking for him. And, and the best part of that story is just we were talking with one another and, and uh, traded information with him. And I asked him, has anyone just ever shared the gospel with you about what Jesus has, has done for you? And he said, well, I've, I've heard, you know, I've read some things, but he said, no, I don't think anyone has ever just simply told me what the gospel is. And so God gave me an opportunity to just share the gospel with him. My wife uh, was in, a, in the neighboring consignment boutique store uh, next to it. And so she walked back in and saw that I was still talking to the man. And, and she walked to the back of the store where our, our, our toddler was playing. And uh, she said, Hunt, are you, are you ready to go? You ready to get in the car and, and let's go? And, and Hunt looked at her and said, not right now. Mama, daddy's talking. Not yet, daddy's talking. And I don't know about you, if you have parents of, of children, but we want to grow up and our kids grow up knowing I'm not ready to leave yet because mama or daddy is talking. They're sharing the gospel with someone. And how many of you would just say in, in your life that it's our food, it's our nourishment to do the will of God and to be a part of this harvest, to live on mission for Jesus each and every day. And I don't say those things to, to, um, to say that I'm a, a, a whatever. I wanna say it to say that the fields are white for harvest. And if you recognize the people in your life that God has placed there for a reason, whether it be a family member, a coworker, or some person that God has placed in your life, he's probably doing that because he wants you to share your faith with them. Will you? Will we join Jesus in the work of this harvest? I think a third and a last thing that we see about this harvest is that the harvest takes all of us working together. It takes all of us working together. Look with me in verse 36. Jesus begins to explain about those who sow and those who reap and there's rejoicing together. He said, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor and others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Recognize in this text that Jesus is inviting people to rejoice and to have joy from sowing and reaping the gospel. And I've never been more filled with joy in my life than when I'm walking according to what 
Jesus Christ has done for me, and I'm sharing that with other people. And I just believe that many people are just simply missing out on the joy of living life on mission for Jesus. One of the joys of working at the Baptist Association is seeing this on display and seeing how God is working, not just in our church, but at Blue Lake and Shiloh and Orange Hill and seeing how God is moving in all of these other areas in our community. And it's because of faithful church members and leaders who are living their life on mission for Jesus. And I just have to say that the work of evangelistic ministry, the work of like events that we do here at this church um, is not about First Baptist Chipley. It's not about the name of our church. It's about the kingdom of God. That's what the work of our ministry is, is all about. It's not so that our name will become great in the community. It's so that the name of Jesus will be spread among this region. And so the work that we do here is about the kingdom of God. And we realize we're not in competition with other churches or other people because when it comes to the mission of Christ, the credit doesn't belong to us. You may be someone who sows the seeds of the gospel in someone's life. You may be someone who reaps by seeing that person come to know Jesus. But even Paul said, you know, I planted and Apollos watered, but God is the one that gave the growth. My youth pastor, he used to tell me that it takes a person on average seven times to hear the gospel before they repent and believe. You sharing with them might be number one, number four, or number seven. When we look at verse 38, we realize that the disciples, they're entering into someone else's labor. In other words, the seeds of the gospel had already been sown into these Samaritans. And what we learn from verses 39 through, uh, through 42 is that there are many who believe because of the word of this woman's testimony, because she was going out and sharing what had just been revealed to her. There are many people who believed. And just as Jesus invites the disciples to enter a place where others have labored, I say to you that Jesus is inviting us today to enter into the labor of those who have gone before us to sow the seeds of the gospel into people's lives. And the time to reap the harvest is now. And so we ought to put on our gloves and boots and go out and reap this harvest because there are people who have yet to believe in Jesus Christ. Reminded of what Jesus in a few chapters later in John, in John chapter 10, Jesus, he was looking at a group of, of Jews and he said that I am the good shepherd. Those who hear me, they know my voice and they follow me. And then Jesus looking at this group of Jews, he said, but I also have sheep that are not of this fold. And he was talking about the Gentiles, but I believe that if Jesus was physically standing in front of us this morning, he would look at us and say, I love my sheep, my sheep know me, they hear my voice and they follow me, but I also have sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also. I believe that what Jesus would say to us this morning is that we are the hands and the feet. We are the, the the Bible calls it the bulwark of truth. The church is the pillar of truth to spread this truth, this hope, this life in the community and around us and around the world. The Jews would come up to Jesus on Solomon's porch and say, how long will you keep us in wait? Tell us plainly if you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, I've told you, but you don't believe. If you don't believe, you're not of my sheep. My sheep know my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never 
perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. We have been commissioned by Jesus to share the gospel with lost people. Now, I recognize that in a room this morning, especially after the holiday season, you may be a visitor here this morning, and maybe you're here this morning and you've never heard this gospel of truth that Jesus Christ has died for you, that you were dead in your sins, that you can't be made right with God until you trust him and follow him with your life. But I just know that there's many of us in the room today that God has given us the opportunity and the leverage and the opportunity to make much of him and to live life for him. What are we doing with our lives? Are we living on mission for Jesus? I think we can land the plane. Just read with me of what happens in verses 39 through 42. And read with me about this woman who sets the example for working in this type of harvest. Verse 39 says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him and they asked him to stay with them, he stayed there for two days and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Would there be people in your life who would come to know the truth of the gospel that Jesus is the savior of the world because of your obedience to work and to serve God in this harvest? I wanna land the plane here. I know that this morning there might be some who are lost. Do you know Jesus as the savior of the world? Do you know that Jesus Christ died for you, that he died on a cross for you so that you who are dead in your sin can be made alive together with Jesus. The Bible says that we've all been separated from him and that we need Jesus to be made right with God. The Bible also tells us that if we confess with our, with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we can be saved. The salvation comes when we call on the name of Jesus but maybe you're in the church this morning, you're a Christian. Instead of working in the harvest, instead of serving God with your life, maybe we've been just too consumed with temporary things instead of eternal things. And I believe that Jesus is calling us today to go deeper and to begin to live life on mission for him and experience the joy of serving God with your life. There may even be some today who God is has been calling you into vocational ministry or missions, who feel led to go into the harvest into places where people have little to no access to the gospel. And we wanna help you obey whatever God is calling you to do. And so I wanna ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And as we enter into a time of invitation, it might be a little bit unconventional, but what I'm gonna ask you to do when, when we get done praying and when Ella starts playing is I wanna ask you to stand up and I wanna ask you that as you stand that you would turn to the person on your left or your right and tell them the names of some people in your life who you know are lost. And I wanna take the first part of this invitation time that we can just pray out loud with one another for the lost of people who are around us in our community, people in our lives who do not know the name of Jesus. 
And so when we pray and we stand together, I want to ask you to do that. To just stand and turn to someone beside you and tell them the names of those who are lost in your life and just pray out loud for one another. If you're not comfortable with that, just pray in your mind, listen to the words of those who are praying around you. And I want to ask you that we just, in this invitation, respond by praying. And then I want to ask you, if you've never called on Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, to come this morning. Father, I thank you that today you've made it clear to us, God, that you have called us to be a part of this great harvest work. I pray, Lord, that we would not neglect such such of a great calling that you've placed on the church, but that each one of us would open our eyes and to see that the fields are white for harvest. I pray, God, that you would give so many in this church were opportunities to share their faith with others so that, God, as we're going about our daily lives, or that we would recognize those who need the hope of the gospel now more than ever. I pray, Father, we'd be intentional with this time that we would respond in the way that you called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet start playing Rachel and I just want you to turn to the person on your left and right just pray over some of the names of those in your life who you know have never responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ and after we get done praying a minute Ellis will lead us in a closing song